welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, good morning, Anne. Thanks for being a guest on my podcast. Good morning, Will. It's a pleasure to be here with you. It's a pleasure to meet you, and thank you for having me on the Conversations About Life podcast. Well, my um, guest this morning is Ann Visser, and um, Ann is a, a life coach, speaker, and trainer with For Better Forever, um, which she founded with her husband. And she's also a certified John Maxwell team coach. And um, so, Ann, um, you've been married to your husband um, for 41 years, your website says, and you have five children and 11 grandchildren. And, um, and it seems that you minister to women, um, and especially, um, about communication and helping women communicate well, anything else, uh, just as far as introduction, just to say about yourself and what you do. Sure. Well, I live in beautiful Prince Edward Island, Will, which is the land of Anne of Green Gables. I'm not sure if you're familiar mm. with that fictional mm-hmm. character, but uh, it, it's a beautiful place uh, to live. And we farm together, my husband and I. And I have to update the website because it's actually 43 years now. 43, okay. <laughs> We've been married. <laughs> Yes. And so I love what I do. I love the opportunity to work with with women and and couples as well uh, to impact them and to see, to be on a journey with them as they're working on their lives and their faith uh, to grow in in the Lord. Yeah. Well, you know, before, you know, talking with someone on the podcast, Sometimes I just jot down a few things to bring up, questions to ask, and sometimes that those questions kind of have more to do with just what I've been thinking about, you know, lately. So, you know, this we're just really going to plunge into things here and just see where they go. But um, what I'd like to ask you is, um, you know, what's what has made the biggest impact on your life for good um, so far in your life? Uh, well, okay. The biggest impact was when I was 15, I came to know the Lord as my Savior. I was very lost at that time and needing hope. As a very young person, I was needing hope and uh, it was actually my husband who was a, a, a love interest at that time who shared the Lord with me, uh, who wouldn't give me a date because I wasn't a Christian. <laughs> wow. And instead he shared his faith and his uh, what that meant to his life and his personal life. And I was interested in him because he was different. He wasn't like the other guys who were out drinking on the weekends. He had purpose in his life and that was very attractive and he was leading in our school and in his 
uh, local young peoples and in the maritime young peoples as well. So all of that, I, he was, it was intriguing and I wanted to know more. I got way more than I bargained for, Will. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And so that has made the biggest impact. And then we married. Um, uh, I was very young. I was 18. And as it turned out, we did not have the skills. Neither of us had the skills that we needed in order to be good together in marriage. And so um, it came to a point where we were actually on a date. And I, we we had five kids in six years. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was very busy at home, and he had a very busy life on the farm as well. And we came to this point where I just, I was at the end of my rope, and I couldn't do it anymore. And that's what I said to him, I I can't do this anymore. And I could see the panic in his eyes. We were sitting in our farm truck, and um, he said, what do you mean you can't do this anymore? And I said, I cannot do marriage like this anymore. I said, we just keep hurting each other. And... We knew what it was like to love one another, and this was not that. And so that very pivotal conversation opened up. um, It opened him up to talk about what was going on in his life and heart. And it put us both on a path, like a personal growth path, to become better individually, but then to become better together and learning that there were so many things, skills that I didn't have in communication. I didn't want to open up to him. I didn't trust him. And it wasn't that he wasn't trustworthy. It was that I didn't trust him with my heart and didn't even know how to do that. And I didn't know that in order to share that with someone, you have to understand yourself and know what's going on in your own heart and mind, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. I didn't. And so I needed a way to process what was happening inside of me so that I could actually share that with him so he could know me. And so the very first book that we read was um, Making Love Last Forever by Dr. Gary Smalley. And there we learned that um, pivotal conversations, it, the way we communicate is how we see into each other. And that's intimacy, into me you see. And that was a that was a massive change in our marriage, uh, and it started. It gave us great hope, even though we were lost <laughs> in not being able to communicate. But it put us on a path to grow, and that enabled us to grow closer together, and that grow that intimacy that we so badly wanted and and needed in marriage. So, Anne, you were telling me the story about. Um you know, starting your relationship with God and then, and that came through, um, is it Melis? Yes. Melis. Melis. And, um, and then uh, your marriage as a newly married couple, and then coming to that point where you needed to, um, learn to communicate. And before that, um, what was getting in the way of the communication? Like, why didn't that, I just wonder why didn't that just come more naturally or why um, was that something that had to be learned? 
I didn't know how to communicate because I didn't know what was happening inside of me. I didn't understand what I was feeling or what I was thinking. And so when you don't know what you're thinking or when it's just like a mess and you can't differentiate between that and then what it is that you want, it's really important to be able to say to your spouse, you know, this is what I need and this is what I want. And I didn't know many times I wasn't able to explain that. So I would get upset, but I wasn't able all he got was the emotion and not the information that he needed to be able to meet, even to be able to meet my needs. Uh, Dr. Gary Smalley says that conflict is the doorway to intimacy. Neither of us wanted to fight. We're both recovering people pleasers. And that was not helpful in marriage. We wanted to please each other. Uh, so then I would put myself on hold uh, to try and meet his needs, but then never explaining to him, well, this is what I need. I still remember the day I was standing in the kitchen and uh, it was a, it was a bad day with the kids and I was upset. And I said to him, I just need a hug right now. And he walked over to me and he put his arms around me, Will, and he just held me. And I could not believe that this was so easy. <laughs> I had never deliberately said, this is what I need right now. He was more than willing to care for me, but I wasn't able to say to him, I need this. And Dr. Smalley shared with us that there are different levels to communication. So we start with the cliches, you know, it's cold today. And and then we move into uh, content or information like uh, then we move into opinions. And as we go deeper into communication, we go deeper into a relationship. Because when I share my opinion with you and you don't like it, well, that's risky. But then we go deeper. And the, and the deeper part is when we start to share our feelings. And then because it requires a, a certain amount of trust to share how I'm feeling today. And then the deeper level are the needs that we can share with one another. And when, because when I share my need with my husband and for some reason he doesn't meet that need, it's, it feels very vulnerable. But when we share those needs and they meet those needs, with, when we meet those needs mutually with one another, we feel loved uh, because we know he knows he's hit the target and I know that he's intentionally tried to love me. And so we needed those skills so badly, so desperately to build that intimacy into our marriage. And it wasn't that we weren't willing and it wasn't that we weren't Christians, which is interesting to me. It was that we didn't have the skills for communication that we needed in order to love one another well. So um, you mentioned that the beginning is, is conflict, uh, or that's like the beginning of intimacy, or maybe, you know, you said Gary Smalley said that. So when this all started, you know, the communication, did it seem easy and pleasant, or did it seem really rough and hard? <laughs> it was awful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and actually, when I read that, I, I, I was so mad because I didn't want to fight. <laughs> I didn't want to conflict and neither did my husband, Bayless. We didn't want to fight, but we knew what we were doing wasn't working. And, and I'm of the mindset that if what you're doing isn't working, try something different. We were desperate to try something different. And so we were at the end of our rope and desperate enough to try 
to learn these new skills, to be able to, first of all, and I needed to journal further very specifically about my feelings, my thoughts, and what it is that I really wanted so that I could sort it out in my own head. And then to be able to say to my husband, and it was rough, it wasn't easy, it was challenging because when you're learning new skills, it's like learning to walk as a child, right? You you get up, you fall down, you get up, you fall down. And so we had a lot of missteps along the way and more skills to learn along the way. And so, but even in the midst of that, Will, it was hopeful because as we were learning new skills, we were getting better together and we were seeing each other more fully and just the very possibility and the fact that he was trying and I could see that um, it gave me hope that we were going to be okay and get back to being in love again. I think it's important to have that chemistry in relationship. And so although it was rough and it was hard, it was hopeful at the same time. Does that make sense, Will? Yeah. I wonder if, um, you know, conflict um, I think of like, you know, uh, two opposing sides and I wonder if what makes it kind of hard is, um, like some of the defensiveness that comes in community, in, in conflict and communication and, uh, which, and defensiveness normally includes accusations. And, um, it seems like that's just a, a really a hurdle to get over in communication because it makes it so unpleasant and sure there's communication going on, but it seems really combative and like it's not progressing anywhere good. Um, is that defensiveness and, and stuff, um, you know, an obstacle and um, what, you know, how can that be addressed and so forth, you know? Well, I learned that my own defensiveness and blaming him was a way to not take responsibility for me and learn to say those hard things to each other. Are you taking responsibility here? Um, and learning it just, it was like skill building on skill, building on skill. And, and I can still blame him and realize, wait a minute, I'm not taking responsibility for me here. And this is my responsibility. And so it is not helpful for me to be defensive. It is not helpful for him to be defensive because this is a mutual, marriage is mutual, and one person, I think, can work for a little while on marriage. But if the other person doesn't eventually come along and start working on themselves and the marriage, too, then it's a problematic marriage. And so it, it does need to be mutual. But the thing that I can change, the, the person that I can change is me. And that change can influence him as well. And so learning that defensiveness and blaming, it's, it's a way for me to 
move away from the conversation rather than stepping into the conversation. And so we learned that that responsibility was really important for each of us to take in the conversation. And so conflict is the doorway to intimacy. But what we also learned from Dr. Smalley is that how we conflicted was important. And so that this, the, the skills to be able to conflict, to be able to stay calm, which I needed to learn, Will, and that uh, journaling was huge to help me to stay calm uh, rather than be reactive to him. And I found that journaling daily, uh, in the beginning I journaled every day, and that daily journaling kind of helped me to stay current with God and current with myself about where I was so that I wasn't so reactive, so that I could have those better disagreements or so that I wasn't, so that I could express what it is that I really wanted and needed in the relationship. Yeah. So um, I can see how if communication is like, is the problem um, learning to communicate can be really, you know, it's needful and can be really helpful. Um, but what if like learning to communicate and the, when the communication happens, if that exposes something like you mentioned a problem, problematic marriage or, you know, exposes two people who, you know, kind of want two different things or, um, Or, um, I don't know, there's just some other things sometimes that can be thrown into the mix, um, you know, addictions to this or that or whatever. Um, what's the purpose of the communication at that point? And um, yeah, do you have any thoughts about just, you know, any of that? Mm-hmm. We can't love each other well unless we know each other. So start there. When those hard things come up, we have committed to work on it, on on loving each other. And then I think when those larger problems come up, it's time to call in help and to bring resources to the marriage table that we need. So whether it's, um, we started with a book, and then we had some counseling and we just continued to study and be a student of marriage because we weren't doing well. And when it, it's important to get good help. So if you're dealing with addictions, that becomes not a marriage problem so much as a personal problem, actually. Mm-hmm. That affects the marriage. And right. so that's where that person needs to work on that addiction to be able to be a better partner for their spouse. And so I think there are personal problems and then there are marital problems. So the addiction is creating communication and trust and uh, a lack of trust uh, because there's going to be a lack of honesty because there's been some hiding uh, when you start to talk about addiction. So it's really important to deal with those personal challenges so that we can be 
better together. And it's really important to get help. And there's so much good help out there now. Um, And I think bringing in a third party can be incredibly encouraging. Um, Someone who has the experience, who has maybe worked through challenges and can help that person to get on track and um, so that they can be a better partner, a better spouse. So you mentioned skill in conflicts. Um, Just, you know, kind of in, in an overview type of thing, what are some of the major things to keep in mind for communication and, conf- you know, in, in having conflicts in a skillful and profitable way? I think one of the first things is to be able to check emotions, like is to be able to manage my emotions so that I can actually have a conversation. I remember the first argument we had after we were married, I slammed the door and he looked at me and he said, we don't do that. <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay, we don't do that. Hmm. (laughs) So uh, to be able to manage our emotions is really important in a pivotal conversation. I think another skill is the ability to be able to, in that midst of managing that emotion, to be able to truly listen, to hear the heart and to look for the gold in what the person is saying. Oftentimes what they're saying isn't the real problem in the beginning because they're processing and they're going to get there to the gold and to what the real problem is. But if we don't listen actively, uh, if we're really reactive, we won't be able to listen. So if we can sit out in those uncomfortable emotions, because when they're talking about things that we're responsible for and they're our fault and we know it, it can be very hard not to be reactive. But if we can stay in those uncomfortable emotions long enough to get to the gold and to hear their heart, then we come to a deeper understanding and that intimacy that we're looking for and longing for, because I believe that all of us long for that kind of being known and that kind of knowing. Uh, I remember a time when my um, father-in-law was rushed to the hospital. He was in critical condition. I was at home uh, worrying and waiting for word. And I was so upset by the time that my husband came home. I came at him with full barrels like, why haven't you messaged me? Why haven't you let me know what's going on? Why haven't you called me? I need to know what's happening with your dad. Is he dead? Like, I just need to know. And in this case, my husband was very, very calm. Will, he just gets full marks for how well he handled my upset. And and he looked at me and he said, I haven't messaged you because there's no new information. I There's nothing new, that nothing has changed for him. And so that's why I didn't message you. I said, I just need you to message me that then. Let me know what's going on. And he said, how can I do this differently next time? And I said, I just need you to communicate with me what's happening. I said, I've never felt like I belong to this family. Why haven't you let me know? And as soon as it was out of my mouth, I was like, oh, that's what this is about. Hmm. This is not only about his dad being in critical condition. This is also a deeper pain that I thought I had already dealt with. And I had to some degree, but there was more there. 
And so I say that that intimacy, when we have those kinds of conversations, I not only get to see into Malas, my, my husband, he gets to see into me and I get to see into myself because I didn't know that was still there. And so that's a gift that we give each other when we're willing to kind of go to the mat and have those kind of conversations. I also get to see into me as well. That's a beautiful thing. So those are a few of the skills that I think are really important. The listening is so vitally important. The the ability to be able to be concise and kind of stick to the facts can really help emotion as well. And it can help the other person hear what you're saying instead of making them look in a, like a, a mountain of words and you're making them look for the needle in the haystack. So to be concise and that journaling piece really helps me to be more concise. Another skill is to, when you know what you want, when you know what you're feeling and what you're thinking, it's easier to be more assertive instead of being attacking And so to be able to say, this is what I think, this is what I'm concerned about, but this is what I really want. And also, this is what I don't want. Like, I have heard um, couples say, like, I'm afraid that that what he wants is a divorce, when really what he wants is, is he wants to hear her heart. And so when we can put that on the table, like, I don't, I'm not looking for a divorce here. I, I'm not looking for control here. I just feel like this is something that we need to talk together and talk out together. So that can be another really great skill is to say, this is what I don't want, but this is what I do want. What does, um, how does one go about journaling? Like, you know, you mentioned how helpful that is. Uh, what kind of journaling is it? Or just how does one do this type of journaling? Mm. So whenever I'm triggered, it's a sign for me. So trigger is like an overreaction to something or maybe even an underreaction to something. Then I go to my thinking chair and I journal out these questions. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? What's really troubling me here? That can be really helpful. And then I journal out what is it that I really want? And answering those questions and having those questions really, that clarity is so incredibly helpful to have a better pivotal conversation. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, and, and then something else I was just wondering about, um, you know, we, we, we want intimacy. We want a really rich and wonderful relationship. But like you had already mentioned, it does take two and it may never get to, you know, quite what we want. Um, Where um, does like balancing that with just satisfaction in the Lord and uh, come into play? Like, um, I guess, um, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Whereas not needing marriage to be like the um, thing we have to have in order just to be well, but rather um, finding that in the Lord and then in that solid place, you know, 
doing the work of marriage and so forth. Do you have any thoughts on along those lines? Thank you for asking that question. I talk a lot about marriage uh, because that's kind of my background and where I've come from and, and where I've studied. But marriage is not the God. Marriage is not God. And so uh, for me, he's everything and he's the plumb line to everything that I do. And um, I need him to sort me out. I need him to, um, I need to sit with him so that I can enter a day um, just resting in him. And that rest enables me to be a better spouse and take responsibility for me. And I have seen many marriages turn around um, when two people work on it. I say, don't give up too easy. Work through the process. It is a process to get well. And as we work through the process, then we start to get clarity. In pivotal conversations, we get clarity. And we start to get that clarity about what this is and what's really happening here. And oftentimes when it's very dissatisfactory, there's something going on in the marriage. So whether it's a very destructive marriage and there's one person that's working really, really hard and over-functioning for the other person and the other person isn't lifting a finger to work on the marriage, then that's a very toxic place to be. I would never say to a a Christian woman or man, you need to stay in a place of abuse. I don't think that um, that's helpful. I think that's spiritual abuse, actually. But I say work the process so that you know that what you have in the end. And oftentimes, if, if the partner is willing, they do respond and it does get better. Um, it is never ideal because that's heaven <laughs> and this place is not our home. And But it can be really good. It can be really good when two people are mutually respecting each other and want the best for each other and really truly care about what happens to the other person. Have I answered your question well? Yeah, yeah that's good. How does a couple regain respect? I've heard um, people say, um, like, if you get to the point where it gets so bad that you despise your partner, that that's a really difficult hurdle to get back. You know, it's almost impossible to, you know, get over that if you've sunk that low. Um, But you have to, you know, like respect, mutual respect is kind of like that foundational thing you have to have, uh, it seems like to, to be able to go forward. Um, if, if a couple has gotten to that place where the marriage just seems dead and it just, and they've, you know, um, they've lost that respect. Um, do you have any thoughts for like first steps for, for them? Mm-hmm. I think that mutual respect is really about building trust. I think if you think about trust on a slider, when there's no respect, then that trust has plummeted. So there, 
there's maybe a lack of honesty, which there was in our relationship because I didn't know what I was thinking, right? So I can't be honest about what's going on inside. And so then we need to rebuild that trust. And the way to rebuild that trust with openness and honesty in those conversations, maybe bringing in a third party, because when we get to that point, I've heard women say, he's my enemy, when he really wasn't. And so when you have a third party in the room, they can help be your ears for a short time so that they can give you a different perspective uh, on what it is that that person is saying. But it does require that it requires us to go over the top in that honesty so that we can, because when you're honest, then it starts to change the trust picture that we have in our head of our partner. And if we're not honest, then it, it shifts that picture as well. And that trust drops in a negative way. It shifts that picture. And so to rebuild respect, we need that those pivotal conversations. We need that openness and honesty to understand the other person's heart and it can be extraordinarily helpful to bring a third party in to help us work through that process so that we can start to create some better solutions. I like to think about, um, we often think about the person as the problem instead of the problem as the problem. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so, good. Um, connecting respect to trust, I guess, you know, it's a really, that's really makes sense that, um, regaining respect would be like um, regaining trust step-by-step or or working in that direction would be like the the steps forward to regaining respect. Yes. And if we can think about the person as a part of the solution rather than the problem Mm -hmm. and work on regaining that trust, both partners really need to work on that together. That trust is not gained by um, one person, then the other person partner needs to come along to, to help build, mutually build that, rebuild that trust again. How do you define love and marriage? Um, you know, like we're, we're called to love at whatever stage or marriage, our marriage is at, whether it's like down at the very rocks in the bottom or whether it's somewhere progressing up or doing really good. So just what does love mean in a marriage relationship? Uh, How do you define that? Love to me means deeply knowing uh, my spouse, uh, trusting his heart for me and um, being able to rely on him to some degree, like we, they don't meet all of our needs, but we do need to mutually meet some of each other's needs. Um, it means a commitment that goes beyond today. Uh, it means that I am in it for the long haul and he is too. So mutually committing to I do every day, not just the I do on the day we married. And so that means when he's, oh, I can give you a picture of this, Will. Um, 14 years ago, I injured my neck. And uh, I'd always wondered if I was incapacitated, if Malus would love me. If I couldn't 
produce anything, if I couldn't do anything, if I couldn't cook a meal, he loves it when I cook him a meal. If I couldn't be in the kitchen, if I, if I couldn't do the laundry, like if I couldn't provide, if I couldn't do anything, would he still love me? And I was in so much pain at that time. I was on morphine and um, it just barely touched the pain. He, he brought the, our bedroom mattress down onto the family room floor because I couldn't do stairs. I couldn't go for a drive. I could do nothing. I was incapacitated. And he, in his busiest season as a farmer, when he is working very long hours without any complaint, he did everything. I could do nothing. He did everything. He managed to get me to appointments. He... Um, tenderly cared for my needs, brought me ice packs. Um, he worked <laughs> as well as made the meals and he did everything well. And to me, um, he answered my question in a big way about the I do that he made for every day, regardless of, of what I am able to do in the marriage. And for me, that was that is a picture of love. It sounds like the opposite of love is indifference, you know. Um, so, if we're called to love our spouse, um, it can. It seems like it can never get to the point where we just check out and it's and don't care, you know. That's that's beautiful. I think that the I do that we said was I promise to care. Yeah. yeah. Um, you all started with a book um, or books, are there any particular books that you would recommend, um, you know, for <laughs> at this point to married, married couples? I have a, I have a bookcase full of marriage books. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start? So making love last forever was our beginning and it's still, it's a, it's good today. Um, mm. His needs, her needs by Willard Harley. Um, the most, uh, the book that has had a great profound impact on many couples, and it is, uh, I think, the highest selling book, and it's, it is a good book. Um, it is The Love Languages by Gary Chapman. It's <laughs> uh, a good one. Um, I love Stephen Stosny's work, um, How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It. Hmm. Okay. That's, a, that's a powerful book, and uh, especially for intellects, that's a great uh, a great study. Mm -hmm. Those are some books to get started. Oh, okay. I also love Danny Silk's book, uh, Keep the Light On. Okay, well, thanks. Mm. Um, well, I guess um, maybe um, just kind of diverting a little bit from just strictly talking about marriage, but just kind of uh, taking a, a minute or two to talk about just maybe wisdom gain in life that, you know, um, um, what are your thoughts about um, just growing in joy and satisfaction in life? Um, I guess just know what comes to your um, mind first when it comes to to that hmm. joy is a fruit of the spirit 
So, and we're farmers. So we plant seed and that seed grows and what we plant is what grows. So we're potato farmers. We grow something like 15 varieties of potatoes. If we plant a russet, a russet is what grows. And so we need to plant joy Um, We need to plant uh, activities and thoughts, uh, attitudes, um, habits that can bring the fruit of joy. So one habit that really helps my joy is when I wake up in the morning, I put my hand to my heart and I say, thank you, Lord, for taking me safely through another night. And I put my hand over on the bed because he's usually gone. (laughs) And I say, Lord, and if he's gone or if he's there, I say, thank you, Lord, for taking Mela safely through another night. Uh, Lord, you have purposes and plans for me today. Help me to walk in those purposes and plans that you have for me today. It just, it's a habit that in a prayer that sets the tone for my day, it's a prayer of gratitude, which brings joy. I think it's not enough to feel it, uh, gratitude. It needs to be expressed in thankfulness to God. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings joy, it does for me. Uh, the other thing that brings me joy is um, setting my heart for the day and sitting with the Lord and my and the word of God that brings me joy and it it prepares me for the day. Um, Another thing that brings me joy is our people, the people that are in my life, whether it's my clients uh, journeying together with them as they grow, or whether it's my beautiful grandchildren and just spending time with them. Uh, Whether it's um, having moments with Mela. So we have in marriage, I think it's important to have, built-in habits that create connection and Mm -hmm. intimacy. And so Mm -hmm. some of those habits are every morning we sit together and pray together. Um, We, we play cards at every noontime. (laughs) At every, uh, when noontime? Every new, every noontime. Okay. You play cards together. We do. It's called Monopoly Deal. We do. I can beat him in 10 minutes, Will. (laughs) (laughs) There are moments of connection at the end of the day. Uh, we ask each other, what was the high point, the low point, and what was what do you appreciate about me today? Hmm. What was your God moment of the day? And there's just moments of connection. Even when we're both really, really tired, it only takes a short time. But it's really helpful to understand or hear what happened in the day for, for him. And that brings me joy, <laughs> these habits of connection, whether it's with him or with my children or my grandchildren or my clients. Yeah, that's very good. Well, I want to, um, you know, give you an opportunity just to tell people how they can follow you. But uh, first, is there just anything else um, that's on your mind you'd like to bring up or just anything else that you'd like to say um, in closing? Mm. I just want to encourage your people to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Seek him and you will find him. And knowing God is like a journey and it's like a mirror of the journey to knowing other people, including your spouse. And it can truly 
bless you. So I encourage you to plant those seeds of joy in your life. Uh, whether you're married or not, plant those seeds of joy in your life so that you can experience that fruit of the spirit. All right. Well, thanks, Anne. Um, how can people follow you or know more about what you have to offer? You know, to sure. go ahead. My, my company is for better forever. That's the numerical number four, better the numerical number four ever.com. And you can find me on the web. We have a website there. I also have a free resource. Can I share that with your people? Will? Oh, sure. Go ahead. So we've talked a lot about communication and having pivotal conversations, which put us on a better path and it can help you as well. So I have a free resource that can help you prepare for a pivotal conversation. It's called a seven day challenge. So each day we send out a short video with an action step to help you prepare for step-by-step for your next pivotal conversation. You can go to forbetterforever.com forward slash challenge to pick up that. And that's a great way to stay in touch with me because there you can sign up for our Tuesday Brew with Anne, which is my weekly email that I send out with communication tips. Uh, And uh, just now I've been talking about shame and how that impacts our communication and codependency. So join me there and gain uh, tips and skills to help you communicate in a way that aligns with your faith values. Well, thanks, Anne. I appreciate what you're doing. And this conversation has been really encouraging and informative And I really appreciate you being a guest on the podcast. What a pleasure to meet you, Will, and thank you for having me on your podcast today.